Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On today's show, Episode 4, COVID-19, cancer, peer support, respiratory failure, all the crap we're dealing with. The world is burning. We got to keep it spinning. I'll be talking with Michael Parisi, the CEO of Guidemark Health, an old friend of mine from the agency world. Andrea Ferris from the nonprofit Longevity, one of the leading lung cancer research and advocate groups in the world. I work with them extensively at Stupid Cancer. They're a great group. And Andrew McDowell, my co-founder and COO here at Offscript Media. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, and social distance with style because it's all about quarantine and chill, quarantine and panic, or somewhere in between. Enjoy. Some of what we wanted to talk about and just really kick this off is exactly that, this what Matt had mentioned, when we say peer, we mean health communities or just communities that prior to COVID happening, um, you know, were connecting, sharing information. And this crisis has kind of caused people to all become experts in infectious disease. Um, so when Matt and I were talking last week, we were saying it was really interesting to see the reaction and how quickly nonprofits have mobilized uh, some of the challenges and questions that you're being asked of the members of longevity and the healthcare community and the cancer community as, as a whole. So I know that's a lot to kind of put out there, but we just wanted to open the conversation up. And the reason why, you know, lung cancer was, was an important one to start with is the nature of this virus and, and where it attacks. Um, we know that there's been a heightened sense of, caution or certainly heightened sense of concern across the lung cancer community. So that's some of what we wanted to talk to you about. Well, I mean, the reality too is, is um, like the peer-to-peer part for us right now, quite honestly, some of it is information sharing, but a lot of it is really just um, to break down the isolation and the sense of anxiety and stress that's going out. You know, so a lot of the advocacy groups are distilling information and creating webinars and putting out uh, vetted medical information so that people aren't um, being completely um, inundated with a lot of bad information potentially. And so sort of becoming that reliable source for them to give them you know, the facts and as it pertains to them specifically with the disease. I think where the peer-to-peer comes in, at least in our communities, is a lot of it is the emotional and psychosocial support elements of it and just sort of to break down the isolation and this feeling of um, being completely alone in this and when you're being overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Would you consider the lung cancer community, you know, definitively more at risk than other communities out there? So based on the experts, the uh, risk for contracting the disease is the same um, for uh, the the syndrome of COVID. Um, What the higher risk is of um, having 
that adverse reaction to it and not tolerating the disease or, or overcoming the disease as well, right? Because you have an injury already to your lungs, so you're more susceptible to the symptoms of it um, and perhaps not bouncing back as quickly as someone who doesn't have a lung disease. But in terms of the risk of contracting it, it's about the same from what I understand. Yeah, I, I think the it's easy to panic these days because they're telling the communities that those who are at risk are, you know, X, Y, and Z and cancer people. So how do you how do you how do you how do you dissolve that in some meaningful way and, and continue to go on every day? Yeah, it's a that's a tough one. I mean, I think that um, you know, the the risk, like I said, is really of um not of contracting it, but of, of the side effects of it or of the symptoms of it. But in terms of, it's already a scary disease to have any cancer diagnosis, right? It's a very scary disease when you have a lung cancer diagnosis. And then you add this on top, it does add a lot of extra um, angst and anxiety uh, to that situation. And I think that is where a lot of the peer to peer support comes in to help calm that down. But also it's, I think where the patient advocacy groups, we have a responsibility of also helping to you know, navigate the communities and to help them sort of alleviate some of that stress and anxiety that we can get through this together and they just need to be smart about it and different things that they can do to help cope with that. Have you seen anything come out of the NCI with this cancer lens based on what the CDC is saying? Out of the F NCI? Um, I have not personally seen anything, but I can go look for it. Um, but no, I haven't. I've seen a lot of information uh, coming out of um, CDC, obviously. FDA issued an emergency guidance last week. I'm not sure if you saw that as well on the conduct of clinical trials. So for our community where there are so many clinical trials and people are participating in them, there's assurance from FDA on the new guidance with the new guidance that they can how to continue with those that you're not gonna be cut off and of different um, things that the institutions can do, that the trial sponsors can do and the FDA is going to do to help ensure that patients who are on a clinical trial can stay on the clinical trial and continue to receive care. Um, so I think it's actually quite optimistic and encouraging of how the community is coming together to ensure that people who need the treatment and care are still getting it. And just the measures that they're putting into place to ensure that someone, if they need an infusion or if they need a treatment or if they have some, you know, some uh, emergency that they need to come in, that they will be protected from. Um, and I think that it's it's pretty remarkable. And from my perspective, very optimistic of how the community is coming together to ensure that happens. Michael, are you impressed to see eight billion people actually trying to all do something at the same time? It's it's really a phenomenal. It's an amazing thing to kind of step back and look. Uh, I mean, we've never in our lives seen the entire planet in the same situation. Uh, I have a good friend in Singapore, and they're ahead of us in terms of when it hit. And uh, I talk to them a couple times a week to just kind of get a pace of what they're doing in terms of measures for containment, et cetera. And, I mean, essentially, we're all following the same protocol, if you will. And it's just a matter, it's like a wave, a global wave, and it's happening uh, at different points in different places, some in more serious lockdown and, and isolation efforts. Others are further along, and we're hoping that, you know, on the mend, if you will. But it, it really is incredible to see the entire world pretty much operating from the same sheet of music. Yeah, and, and one uh, on that note, Singapore really stands out as being one of the one of the, I think, three countries 
that if you look at the trend lines produced by the WHO, uh, it's Singapore, Hong Kong, and South Korea that seem to be uh, improving on the general trend to be found yep. across all the other uh, areas that are contending with this. Do you, do you happen to know what it is that makes Singapore one of the three that stands out? Yeah, I mean, so my friend's wife is uh, undergoing active treatment for breast cancer. So she was uh, um, she's on the tail end. She's had chemotherapy. She's had her radiation, and now she's on maintenance therapy. One of her friends actually was COVID positive, and she was exposed. So she is in isolation. But nationally, she had to register, and literally, she is not like not allowed to go outside of their home. Period, wow. and. Um, this system is one single registry for the entire uh, country. So anyone that's been exposed and is in country quarantine, there's actually a database and their son's school was notified. She's not allowed to be on the property. So they're beyond um, strict with the, the policy, but they're also using technology to share information and really uh, make sure that when someone is exposed or was exposed, that uh, all precautions are taken. You're talking 5 million plus people that live on top of each other. I mean, it's, it's a very dense population. So, you know, really preventing it, it's like Manhattan essentially, and, and trying to do uh, and control things the same way. But they've been really successful at doing it. Well, Michael, how is she receiving her ongoing treatments if she is an active breast cancer patient? She's not allowed out of her home. So uh, it's a 15-day quarantine. She just, uh, luckily, she's in between, so she gets a 30-day uh, infusion. But I actually listened to a, a great uh, call this morning with a collection of global uh, oncologists, and they said for things that are, you know, quote-unquote non-essential or where they feel like there's a lower risk uh, if she had to miss a treatment, um, they would say, we'll forego this first treatment and then we'll get, you know, come back in 30 days. So they are prioritizing things that are quote unquote essential versus, you know, follow up. Oh. I saw in the news today that uh, I think it was either Biogen, uh, they were shutting down trials temporarily and that this may be a necessary thing to free up hospital beds. Yeah, I saw it. It's, it's terrible. It's tra this is what we have to do in this country. Yeah. And another thing that's coming up quite a bit is blood supply. So apparently there are several um, states where they're operating on one day in the bank for the, for the blood supply. So bone marrow transplants, you know, can't be done unless there's adequate blood supply. Um, that's lymphomas, myelomas. I mean, pretty, pretty significant impact on the BMT community. About NCI before, you know who's actually been in a lot of communications and is Pasco. Um, ASCO, yes, you're right. They they've really taken a a good lead on yeah. distilling, right? Yeah. ASCO and A Triple C as well for the community oncologists. I've seen a lot from them. Is there any? I mean, obviously, all the nonprofits are sending newsletters and messages and putting things on your homepage that are clearly in alignment with everything that needs to be said. Is there anything unique to the the lung cancer community to, to the longevity community that outside of like yes, lung cancer? very specific, very different. What are your, I guess, your key points besides like, don't panic? Oh, with respect to um, the COVID? Yes. So we actually are um, putting together a very comprehensive education and information um, program that we're doing where we're doing uh, webinars with all the different specialties, um, Zoom webinars that we put out that in video form. 
um, for people who treat all aspects of lung cancer. So we've done a general oncologist, a pulmonologist. Today I interviewed a radiation oncologist. Uh, the other thing that we're doing is we're actually creating the um, videos in Spanish as well and ensuring that all of our language, all of our materials are also available in Spanish. Um, because we have, you know, we have a, a very large community and um, particularly a very large underserved community also. And, and so we're looking not just for language underserved, but um, also people who are in rural areas or community areas and doing webinars specific to that for, to share information as well um, of what could be relevant to them and how they need to navigate their disease because not everybody goes to the large academic centers as we know. Right. Um, other thing that we're doing is we're spending a lot of time and we'll be launching um, a number of these programs next week is to ensure that people don't feel isolated. So things like doing, you know, having a chair yoga session or uh, pulmonary rehabilitation exercises, doing virtual art therapy sessions, things like that too, to help alleviate the stress, uh, virtual Reiki sessions, exercise sessions. Um, and then we're also creating virtual um, meetups and um, support groups as well for people to participate in groups of 10 to 15 um, that will be moderated just to create that connectivity that yeah. so many really need. So I think that, um, you know, I think uh, we're pretty excited about all the programs. Um, I'm guessing that a lot of organizations are doing that for their communities also, at least I hope they are. Yeah. Because I think that that's something that um, we all need to shift towards is to ensure that our communities are staying engaged and active and feeling supported and not isolated. Back with our guest after the break. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I mean, I, one thought that's really that's really standing out here is that, you know, if you if you look at Twitter, for example, um, it's it's chock full of of people generating curious, you know, sometimes fun and lighthearted memes about what it's like to be working from home. Um, and I think that it's very easy to fall into that mindset. But this conversation, you know ought to serve as a reminder that there are people for whom working from home and living from home and being isolated at home, uh, it's, it, it means a great deal more than just simply not needing to commute to and from work. Uh, Especially for a disease like lung cancer, which is already a very isolating disease. People, yes. they don't talk about it. It's not, even though it affects 
you know, 200 and over 200,000 people, 225,000 people a year in the U.S. alone. Those are just Americans. Um, nobody really talks about it. It's starting to change. So that is starting to change. And there are a lot of really fantastic groups that are helping to drive that change as well. And I think that uh, all the new treatments and the fact that people are living longer and better and healthier with the disease is helping, but yet it still is very isolating. And so then you put physical isolation on top of that sort of emotional and psychological isolation, it's, it's kind of doubly compounding. So I think as a lung cancer patient advocacy group, it's really um, essential for us to kind of step in and try to break some of that down and create that platform for people. Yeah, at Stupid Cancer, we would say that it's hard enough being 28 when you're well, because there's yeah. just enough crap piled on top of you in general, <laughs> let alone yeah. throwing a ridiculously nonsensical diagnosis of cancer on top of everything, let alone lung cancer, which has its own unique uh, verticals of stuff to deal with right there. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't stress enough the value of that, the, the making people feel less alone yeah. is, is the single most important part of being an advocate. Like, I, I in my story, the guy that introduced me to the world of advocacy, you might know Craig Lustig uh, from the Children's Cause in DC. He was my first peer. Bald Jewish guy from Binghamton, also with brain cancer. Very small band that we got together to meet. And he helped me understand that advocacy meant making sure someone didn't go through what you went through. And yeah. for me, it was complete isolation. And you got to I mean, we're living in a such a woke moment of mental health as it affects behavior and decisions out there. Again, Hard enough being well, got to make sure people feel that there's a community behind them. Yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic opportunity. Really interesting to see how people uh, use social media for good. No, I, I, I love Andrew. You what you touched on um, is is really interesting. The social media outreach and new channels like TikTok, where I'm, I literally will spend at least an hour a day just seeing what is being posted on TikTok about you know, overcoming isolation. There's been a huge uptick in creative in terms of uh, uh, art, you know, download this. If you have kids at home and you're trying to work, here's another way to distract them. Here's, you know, in some cases, uh, quote unquote, soft therapy to help you get through the day. But loud and clear, the, the challenges of isolation or just this, this idea of craving social interaction is starting to build and you're seeing it more and more each week that we're, we're isolated. And it's just, Matt, to your point, times 10 for anybody with a cancer diagnosis. So this idea of like craving social interaction is uh, it's going to be a lot of pent up demand for you know, groups to come back together physically when we're able to do so. Right. And it's never too soon to make a joke about COVID. So I'm going to thank the nurses, the doctors, the social workers, the, the sanitation crew, the people at the checkout. I, I think the thing you should, you should thank are the people who work in the liquor store. <laughs> Craig, the cashiers. And, yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you to all retail people supplying with bourbon as I need it these days. Yes. For those of us who are listening, for, for people in our audience who are listening right now, who know somebody who's dealing with a, cancer, a lung cancer diagnosis, what are some of the things that, that they can do to help their, their friends and loved ones who have lung cancer and uh, are, are facing down the challenges of uh, social distance? Uh, well, I think there are a number of things. I think, you know, I mean, from a um, issue of social distance and isolation is to reach out via Zoom, reach out via FaceTime or phone calls and just make sure that people feel connected and supported and not alone. In terms of other uh, special needs and things of that nature, I think really just 
be very, very vigilant about practicing that social distancing and practice, you know, washing hands and keeping people safe and respecting that these people are um, in a more vulnerable position uh, than others and to uh, be respectful of that and to help them with that if it's delivering groceries, if it's, um, you know, doing things for them or, or with them. Um, many people who are of faith uh, can't get to their churches or synagogues or, or mosques, um, but to if there are live streams available for that, to just alert them to that fact um, and to just help them with sort of their everyday needs. But I think the best thing that we could do for everybody is to just really, really, really be vigilant about the, um, the social distancing and the need to to wash hands and to take precautions as such, but that goes across the board, irrespective of if you have lung cancer or not, I would say. And this right. is the podcast and I'm sitting here touching my face. So I'm <laughs> setting a bad example for our listeners who can't see me right now. Actually, with that, I think there was a, we, we spoke with a, a doctor the other day and she said that the patients in her waiting room wrote on their hands, do not touch my face. <laughs> Honestly, so tip for all of your listeners, just write on your hands, don't touch my face. Very nice. Very nice. Life hack of the day, for sure. Yeah. Andrew, just one thing to add to that, if I can. And, sure. and uh, the, the one question that I've heard, I, I actually spoke to a couple of folks, a good friend who's dealing with a lung cancer diagnosis last week. And his concern, he's on an oral medication and, and doing well for the most part, um, just concern about do I have enough supply or is my drug going to be delivered? And I know there's been some talk about <clears throat> Medicare Part B and Part D being waived temporarily to allow for additional drug supply to be delivered. So it's <clears throat> something that people are just being asked to call your physician and ask if you can get a, a added you know, number of days for if you're on an oral medication. There, there's just, there's anxiety building around it and uh, just something to open that conversation as well. Absolutely. And I think for infusions, you know, I mean, a lot of people are on certain schedules and infusion centers are often taking precautions where they come in a side door and take out the different, the, the amount of time between visits and patients as well as the chairs. But I think, Michael, what you said is, is exactly true and exactly right. The most important thing to do is to call your healthcare team before coming in to, and to know that they are uh, there for you. And if they say that you don't need to come in, um, it's not because they're putting your health in jeopardy. It's like they, might, they really think that you might be able to space things out differently and they're doing everything they can to provide the right medicines for you when you need them and the right treatments. I think that uh, that brings us full circle to why we're having this conversation in the first place and why this will be going up on uh, on the show. I won't, I'll cut that part out because I'm summarizing mm -hmm. <laughs> my post-production nonsense out there. Uh, Michael, are you, you, you cool with this? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, again, as we um, start to open up the conversation and get more uh, specific around topics, Andrea, if you'd be open to additional conversations um i think it would be great to have a mix you know a, a wide panel and get some thoughts i think everyone's looking to each other to learn which communities are doing what and trying to pick up best practices and i've just been really really impressed with what longevity's done so quickly to make sure that your community is safe and engaged and informed 
um, I know others would benefit from hearing from you. Yeah, no, happy to. And we can always pull in, I mean, Matthew, you know, Katie, we can pull Katie in to yeah. really talk about what she's doing from the patient perspective and the peer to peer. That's why I was curious in terms of peer to where peer to peer fit into this, because I would have pulled Katie into that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, or Upal from if you want more of the scientific or the research side of things, you know, he's doing a lot of that work um, for us and with us. Um, yeah, I do think that the lung cancer community is, is unique in that this disease does attack the lungs. So there's a higher sense of stress and uncertainty with that and anxiety that goes with it. But I think that a lot of the um, things that people need to do kind of cut across cancers and cut across diseases, you know? It just happens to be a little bit more acute in our community. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.